Morning everyone, uh, fantastic times. Good to be together again. Thank you to Tim and Bianca. And uh, just before we um, listen to Hannah, I wanted just to, uh, again, just remind us what God is doing, uh, what God has been speaking for a while in the church and, um, and uh, again, encourage us to put this into practice. You remember the up in and out, the free relationships that I've spoken of often. Um, we've got the up, which is our relationship with God. It's our, it's our worship, our spending time in his word, listening and just loving him. Um, and then there's the in, which is our focus inwards to the church, other believers, serving and supporting, um, caring uh, for one another as church, encouraging one another. And then we've got the out, which is our connecting and inviting people in the world who don't know Jesus um, into the things of God through um, loving them, sharing our lives with them and um, and inviting them into the things that we do. And um, and this is all about being in balance. This isn't about making one thing more important than the other. We see this in the scriptures, as I've said this before, how um, all of these things are really important, how we need to have a good balance. So what I want to ask you to do really is is over this week, have a little kind of spend some time ago and think, oh, how am I doing in those three areas? How is my relationship with God? How's my up? How's my in? And how's my out? Are you balanced? Are you spending time in these areas? Are you praying into these areas? See what God says. Um, chat about it amongst in your community groups. It'd be great just to consider that together as a group. Um, and what can you put into place in, in whatever area you feel God is encouraging you or challenging you in? So remember those three areas. Remember that triangle um, and uh, those three relationships. Let's be balanced. And I want to encourage you to um, just take that for the Lord. And let's just see what God is saying to us, because these are days of opportunity and we need to be ready. We need to be active, we need to be mobilized. And we need all of those three things active. So I want to encourage you that. Uh, but for now, let's head on to Hannah um, and uh, and see what the Lord is saying to us today. Good morning, church. I would say it's nice to see you, but I can't see you. Um, these are strange times, aren't they? The roads are really quiet. Public transport is eerily empty and there are queues forming around the corner of every supermarket there is. And strangest for me is the fact that Sunday morning happens before Sunday morning. Um, so, for example, for me, it's currently Wednesday evening. Um, so by the time Sunday morning arrives, my job is done. I can sit back and relax. And instead of arriving at church for 9am, I can get up in a leisurely way, uh, dress my top half, have a coffee, join the Zoom chat at 10 o'clock and then sit back and enjoy the service. And I could even listen to myself deliver this talk, which I probably won't. So even though I can't see you, um, I know that you can see me and I'm really glad that you're able to join us this morning for our Sunday service. And I hope that God will communicate something to us more of himself today. We are nearing the end of our series in 1 John, Light and Love. John wrote this book to a group of house churches, likely in Ephesus. A group had left the church and were denying that Jesus was the Messiah and the Son of God, twisting the truth about who he is and the message he brought. They had generated hostility between themselves and the true Christians, and John wrote this letter to the churches as damage control. He's setting them straight and reminding them of the truth. Most of the teachings in 1 John are echoes of the words of Jesus at the end of John's Gospel. John is not telling them anything new. He's reminding them and persuading them of what they already believe. The literary style is known as amplification. It's not a debate. It's not poetry. John cycles around the ideas of life and love throughout the book. 
and here in 1 John 5, we reach an, a circle around the idea of love. Alan spoke to us from chapter 40 weeks ago, and we heard how God not only calls us to love one another, but that we cannot help but love one another if we grasp what God has done for us through Jesus. In chapter 5, we're shown how we can grasp hold of this love and have it transform our lives. So let's read 1 John 5 verses 1 to 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And Jesus Christ was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross. Not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have these three witnesses, the Spirit, the water and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts that this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe what God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in the Son, is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. So let's make a start with verses 1 to 3. Love means keeping God's commandments. I felt quite positive as I started reading this. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, so therefore I am a child of God. Nice. So far, so good. Then it goes on. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Again, nice. When I look at this from the outside, it's great. It's a one plus one equals two kind of thing. But it's when I consider it personally that I start to doubt myself. Do I always love his children? All the time? And all of his children? I'm not sure that I do. And I think we probably all have examples of when we have not loved others as well as we know we should have done. Verse two goes on. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. What does loving God's children look like? I asked the youth this question, and here are their answers. They'll come up on your screen now. Thank you to the youth group for your feedback. My dad used to train teachers to teach maths and he made counting sticks which he used used to keep in the boot of his car ready to bring out for a model maths lesson at any moment. He made them very carefully in the garage, measured them and painted units on them in different colours. We all thought it was hilarious and my brothers teased him about his counting sticks but we were told it was a very effective teaching method. 
Here, John gives us our own counting stick against which we can measure ourselves. I think John is silently acknowledging here that we might find it difficult to know if we are loving one another because we won't always feel love towards one another, making us doubt ourselves and our love for God. So how do we know if we love God's children? We measure ourselves against the word, if we love God and we obey his commandments. Love is an action. Verse 12 of chapter 4 says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, if we do those things we read about from the youth, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Showing love to one another is how God is known in the world. In Les Miserables, the main character, Jean Valjean, sings a line um, which says, to love another person is to see the face of God. The action of obeying God's commandments is how we demonstrate love for God and love for others. This brings us to verse 3. Loving God means keeping his commandments. What are these? The ones which come easily to mind are the Ten Commandments which God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. But Jesus gave many more in the Gospels. Here are a few on your screen now. Verse 3 goes on. And his commandments are not burdensome. At first glance, this seems like another comforting sentence. Ah, that's nice. They're not hard work. But I'm not sure I actually agree. I would say that it is a hard thing to obey all of these commands and more. Jesus takes the Ten Commandments to the next level and shows us that it's not just about what we do or don't do, but it's a matter of the heart. The old law was a shadow of reality designed to show us how helpless we are to keep it in our own strength. What Jesus is asking of us is impossible if we strive in and of ourselves to obey the commandments. But John tells us here that God's commandments are not burdensome. So what are we missing? The key is in verses four and five. For every child of God defeats this evil world and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the son of God. I'm going to work backwards over verse 4 to start off with. What is the world? The world here is the world around us and our flesh, which entices us to disobey God and love idols instead of God. The world represents that inability to obey God's commandments and therefore the inability to love him and love his children as he asks us to. Then working back as we come to the word defeat, or in the ESV version, overcomes What does this mean? The answer can be found in another of John's writings, the book of Revelation. I recently finished a Bible in a year reading plan, so Revelation is fresh in my mind. Revelation is an account of a symbolic vision given to John by God, which reveals a heavenly perspective on history and prophesies history's final outcome. It is written to seven churches in Asia Minor who are struggling for various reasons. John calls the churches to persevere in their tribulations and to not compromise in spite of the pressure, keeping faithful to Jesus and looking forward to the hope of the new creation. Through a series of detailed visions of events, we are shown how the Lamb of God overcomes the evil one a final time, bringing a final victory for his people, ushering in the new creation and God's rule forevermore. This is our overcoming right here. But how do we get into that? The second half of verse four tells us through our faith. 
Revelation chapter 7 describes a great multitude of people from every, every nation and tongue worshipping the Lamb. These people are not only Jews, they are from every tribe, every nation and every tongue. So it must be through faith that they are part of God's family. The overcoming is ours if we wash our robes in the blood of the Lamb, i.e. it's ours through faith. Now we come to the gap that we heard about from John Gray a few weeks ago. We can see from this passage where we want to be, i.e. to love God and love his children and obey his commands, but we aren't able to do that as we should. So what's missing? The means to get there is in place. The work has been done on the cross. What's missing is our comprehension of it, our living in the reality of it. If we are feeling like we aren't overcoming the world, there's a gap between our experience and the reality of what God has done. Just because we don't feel like we are overcoming, it doesn't mean that we aren't. The Bible tells us we have overcome, so we have. It's been done. We need to live in the spiritual reality of what God has done instead of in the visible and temporary world that we see. Verse 4 tells us we need faith in the risen Jesus to fill the gap for us. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, we have overcome the world and therefore can keep God's commandments and love him and his children. As long as we rest in this reality, his commands are not burdensome. Verses 6 to 10 show us where John gets the authority from to say these things. How can he prove to his readers who are hearing false teaching from others professing to be Christians that what he, John, is saying about Jesus is true? Verses 6 to 7 show us that there are three levels of witness here, which reflects the three witnesses required by Jewish law to charge a person with a crime, which is detailed in Deuteronomy. This will therefore be a familiar situation to John's readers who have a Jewish background. There is the water, referring to Jesus' baptism, the blood, referring to Jesus' death on the cross, and the Spirit, who came after Jesus' death and resurrection, to live within us and teach us what is true. These three things agree and witness to the fact that Jesus is true and that his death and resurrection changes our lives. In addition, John is writing to his churches about things he has seen and heard himself. It wasn't 2,000 years ago, like it is to us today. It was within John's lifetime that Jesus walked the earth and taught and healed and died and rose from the grave. So John is saying to his readers, I was there when he said these things and taught these things and when he died and rose again. I know, so listen to me. This is the human testimony that John refers to. But we don't only have eyewitness accounts. We have the testimony of God in his word and by his spirit in us. So how could we not believe what John is saying with these two significant testimonies? In case there's any doubt, John finishes this section with a reminder. It's all about the Son. Verse 11. And this is what God has testified. He has given us eternal life and this life is in the Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. Who is this Jesus? I was at a conference once where the speaker encouraged the congregation to engage our imaginations in worship. Now, I am one of the least imaginative people you will ever meet. My heart used to sink at primary school when the teacher said, Ma'am, write a story. And I realise now that that was something to keep us quiet, which required no preparation from the teacher. 
I can engage in other people's imaginations. I love reading, but I struggle to be original. I'm really bad at Scrabble um, because as soon as I see a word in my tiles, that's all I can see. Even if it's a three letter word, I can't then see anything else within those tiles. So if you want to win, challenge me to a game of Scrabble. It will be an easy win. What this isn't, engaging our imaginations, is making things up in your mind. It is instead applying the imagination, which is given to us by God, to the word to bring it alive. I encourage you to think about the words in Revelation 1, verse 12, verses 12 to 19, and to imagine what Jesus would look like. The Bible is an incredible literary work, but it's not always very descriptive. I often find myself reading passages about something very dramatic without feeling the drama. And that's a reflection on me and what I expect from what I read and see and watch um, as a product of my generation. That's why films have been made, to bring it to life and to help us more fully grasp what things might have been like. So I encourage you to go away and read Revelation 1, 12 to 19 and apply your imagination, praying that God would give you a new revelation of his son. How could we not have faith in this glorious, triumphant Jesus? We have overcome the world, but not by ourselves, only through Jesus. So, we can love others because God first loved us, and because, through faith in him, we have overcome the flesh and can keep God's commandments. When hard things happen and we're hurting, that might lead us to not feel love for others, but we can still love them because we have overcome the world through faith in Jesus. Is there something in your life at the moment that you feel powerless about? Bring it before God in prayer. Remember Jesus in the Bible, the reigning King of Kings who defeated death. Put your faith in him and regardless of your circumstances, you can know that in the spiritual realm, which is the only realm which matters and will last, you will overcome them. In fact, you already have in Jesus. I can tell you from experience, the pain won't necessarily disappear. You might still be suffering. Our idea of what it means to overcome is often not the same as God's idea. However, there is a greater hope, which is described in Revelation 7. I'm going to read some of it now, and I've replaced the words they and them with you and yours. Therefore, you are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter you with his presence. You shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike you, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be your shepherd, and he will guide you to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. That hope is the reason we can love God, obey his commandments and love others. Thank you, Anna. And uh, yeah, let's just pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you that it is your victory that, and your power and your authority that we stand in. And Lord, I just want to pray for us all as we continue in these days that we may hear you speak, that we may be encouraged by who you are and what you're doing in our lives. And so, Lord, we just thank you for what we've heard already. Um, and Lord, will you just bless us, bless our families, keep us safe, pray for those who need your touch physically. And um, Lord, we just honour you in Jesus' name. Amen.
Before we go, a um, couple of notices. There's a prayer meeting tonight, seven o'clock. Uh, you would have got the email um, for the Zoom room. And um, so we're going to pray for about an hour if we can get there before or at seven. And uh, just encourage us to keep praying for the church, praying for um, uh, our opportunities, what comes next and uh, see what the Lord is saying to us. Also, thank you for those who filled out the questionnaire. If you haven't done so already, if you could do that, that would be fantastic. The more feedback we get from people, the more we know what we need to be doing as a church and how we can support and encourage one another. Um, also, uh, just to let you know, tomorrow um, there's a ladies chat and coffee and chat. Again, the link's in the email. And then Thursday morning, nine o'clock, fellas, um, online chat discussion group as well. Um, drop me an email if you want to know any more information about that. Um, and get in touch with Debbie Charles if you want to ask about the coffee chat as well. Um, but other than that, have a fantastic week. And um, yeah, be encouraged. And remember, have a think a bit about the up in and out. Spend some time in prayer. See what the Lord is saying and um, be encouraged. So I'll see you soon.